Netflix just released a new documentary called Wham! And it's the origin story of a younger Abby's favorite band in the 1980s. Yep, I was totally obsessed with Wham! back in the day. So, of course, we had to watch this film. All right, let's find out what Abby thought about it. All right, so I was very excited when I heard about this show coming out because, of course, I loved Wham! back in the day, specifically George Michael. No shade on Andrew Ridgely, but I was a huge George Michael fan. The description of this show says they're using archival interviews and footage, and George Michael and Andrew Ridgely are reliving the arc of their Wham! career from 70s best buds to 80s pop icons. Do you think that was an accurate description of the show, Keith? Oh, yeah. I thought it was definitely accurate. It was a great showcase of the evolution of their career. Totally. And I learned quite a bit, although I knew a lot of stuff about Wham. Wait a minute. I remember when it was over and Abby goes, well, I didn't really <laughs> learn a whole lot of new information from that. I knew a lot of the stuff already, but there was a few things I didn't know. Like, I didn't know exactly how they had met and stuff. So they met when they were like 12, which is so cute. For me, I learned about 98% new information. <laughs> okay. You weren't a super fan? I wasn't a super fan. I knew a couple of their songs, but I never heard of Wham Rap or Club Tropicana oh. or all this new stuff that came, I guess old stuff that came along before the Wham album that I knew. Right. So Wham Make It Big was the first big album, the big hit album in America. But they had an album before that that had quite a bit of success in the UK called Fantastic. And I was today years old when I realized that. <laughs> well, what happened was I got really into Wham and bought Make It Big. And I'm sure other girls did this too, or other kids, mostly girls. Uh, probably girls. <laughs> anyway, so what I did was after I became a big fan, I went back and bought the original album so that I could pick up those tunes from their earlier career. So that's when I learned all about Wham! Rap. Did you even know that their first hit was a rap? No. <laughs> I thought their first hit was... Uh... Either Last Christmas or uh, no. what's the big uh, Wham song? Careless Whisper? No, no, no. Oh, Wake Me Up Before yeah, You Go-Go? Yeah, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. That's oh. the one I probably thought was their first hit. I mean, I think that's the first one that America adopted, but later they went on to have, of course, lots of hits. And then it's interesting because I think they re-released their Wham rap in their first album, and it did then have more success than it did the first time, which is pretty cool. I don't know if a lot of albums have done that. Well, I think going on top of the pops uh, is a remedy for uh, any band that's struggling to all of a sudden be very successful. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really grow up with that show because it's, it's an English show. It's in um, the UK. But those clips are so fun to watch now. And they're so funny. <laughs> and their outfits were ridiculous. <laughs> they were. Well, I felt bad because they were saying, like, they had no money. Like, that was literally, like, he's like, we probably only had, like, three or four outfits to choose from. And so it was, like, slim pickets at the time. Yeah, that seems to be a theme from all the bands that we meet, uh, like, on the cruise in different places. And you hear them talk, and they all say, we had no money. I know. A lot of these record companies back in the day 
were really taking advantage, especially of the young artists like Andrew Richley and George Michael. Like they were so young when they signed their contract and they were just so, so elated to have a contract. And um, at the time, I'm sure they didn't know really what they were doing. And so they probably kind of signed their life away and didn't make much money. Yeah, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because you want to sign because that's the only way you're going to become famous. Right. But at the same time, you want your contract to be fair too. But I feel like a lot of these bands did not get fair contracts just because they wanted to sign. And if they weren't willing to sign the contracts, they probably would never have got signed and gotten famous. So it's kind yeah. of a catch-22. Yeah, it was interesting. I did think it was interesting that um, one of the things they said in the documentary was um, they were only making a small percentage, but only off of the singles. Yeah, not off of the uh, the long albums. Not the LP. Yeah. And so that really sucks because that's where he's like, well, that's what everybody was buying was the album. So they weren't really buying the singles and they didn't make much money. But let's rewind for a minute and let's talk about how these guys met because it was the cutest story. So they're 12 years old and they went to the same school. It was called Bushy Mead School. And there was this adorable early footage of them like in front of the school and stuff. I loved that. So, of course, I went and looked up the school and it's still there. That's pretty cool. I know. And so if we're ever in North London... We can go and drive by it. Abby's like, can we go to London now? <laughs> yeah. We need to do some filming locations. Okay, I have to read this quote um, from George Michael, from the young George Michael. He's talking about their start because I thought it was the cutest thing ever. He said, when I was with Andrew, we were absolutely determined to have a fantastic time. Wham was like a brotherhood. It was playful. And Wham was never going to grow up. It was like a dream. And I just think that's the sweetest thing. Like, their big thing was just always have fun, always be positive. And that's why I like that Choose Life t-shirt that they, was so popular. He said that's why they picked that because it was kind of an anthem for them. Like, you know, you choose your life and you make the best of it. And you want to choose to do things that are, like, fun and exciting and things that you enjoy. And so I really like that positivity. I think that might be one of the reasons I was so drawn to them. Well, it definitely carried over into their music. Their music was very positive. Most of it, it yeah. Be, until you got to maybe like Careless Whisper. <laughs> yeah. the, let's say the early stuff. I mean, yes. it was very positive, upbeat, and, and fun. Exactly. And the other thing they said was, at the time, everyone was like, how could these two idiots become so bloody massive? <laughs> it's because they were good-looking dudes, and they I could mean, sing. They were good-looking dudes, they were talented, and they wrote their own music, too. So, you know, obviously they had some talent. In fact, they started writing songs together as kids long before they formed Wham!, which I thought was totally adorable, because my friends and I used to do that, too. Like, make silly recordings and play radio DJ and all that. Man, I wish you would have hit it big like they did. <laughs> oh, dang. I, I could I could retire. There's no clamoring for Top Gun, my my Top Gun song about Val Kilmer. Or Bubbles. <laughs> they haven't heard that one. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our Top Gun episode, we, we did debut the Top Gun song written by me and my friend Shannon, so... But yeah, we had some other songs. We had Bubbles. We had one called Animals Are My Best Friend. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what other great potential hits we had, but uh, we did not, unlike Wham, we did not make it big <laughs> in no, any way. That's too bad. But I, I love that when these two guys met, 
and became friends, they were the age that I was when I became a big fan of theirs. Because, like, I was about 12 when I was really into Wham! and George Michael. In fact, for my 12th birthday, my mom's like, what kind of birthday party do you want? Like, what what kind of cake do you want and all that? You know, a lot so, of kids were so, picking, like... So you had a Wham! cake? Uh, yeah, I was about to, you gave it away. Oh. I was going to say, a lot of kids were picking, like, you know, strawberry shortcake or Care Bears. or And I had done all that. And that year, I wanted a Wham! cake. So what does a Wham! cake look like? Well, it turns out the bakeries don't make a Wham! cake, so I made it myself. Okay, so describe it to us. It literally just, <laughs> it just had icing that I wrote out the word Wham! Wow. Real big, it, like in trying to make the big font that they used on the album with the exclamation point, and then I drew a little microphone out of icing that came down from the word Wham! and that was about the best I could do. And were your friends impressed? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure they were. They all were also crazy about Wham, just like me. And I hung posters all around, you know, for, instead of party decorations. I had my Wham posters. So did y'all have a little jam session? Did y'all listen to Wham music the whole time? Oh, I'm sure we did. I probably was playing it in the background during the party. Well, first we went to the hibachi restaurant, <laughs> and then we came home and had a slumber party. So if, if I asked, let's say you had 20 girls at the party, and I go... There wasn't that many, Okay, but. let's say there were 20. Okay. Let's say there were 10. And I said, all right, ladies, who's hotter, George oh. or Andrew? What percent would say George, and what percent would say Andrew? I mean, I feel really bad saying this, but we would all say George Michael. Like, none of my friends were like, ooh, Andrew Ridgely. Although, he's very cute. He's good looking. But George Michael, though. Come on. Because I find that very bizarre because when I watched the documentary, it seemed like early on, like Andrew was like the sex symbol. <laughs> he was, I think George even said that he was like. Pudgy. Well, he was well, pudgy. George was pudgy, but he even said like Andrew was the pinup guy. And he That's goes, what he thought. Yeah. And he goes, I was the other guy. You right. know, but it turns out George ended up being the hot one and, and Andrew, he, hey, he's much better looking than me, you know, but I mean, he's still a really good looking dude. But when you're going up against George Michael, it's kind of, it's kind of tough competition. Right. It's really funny because when they met, Andrew was like the class clown popular kid at school. They're 12 years old and George was the new kid. And he, he actually described himself as being awkward, slightly porky was the word that he used and shy. I can feel his pain. I was a porky kid too. <laughs> but y'all both grew out of it. Yes, we did. I finally got some height and uh, a faster metabolism, I guess. <laughs> and I guess George got grew out of it from all that dancing he That's was right. doing. All that sweet dance. He all those, started going to the dance clubs. Yeah, all those sweet dance moves. He was just sweating it out. That's right. I just thought it was the cutest thing that like the teacher literally asked, like, okay, who's going to look out for the new kid? It reminded me a lot of Napoleon Dynamite when, when Pedro shows up and they're like, we need somebody to show him around, and Napoleon becomes his friend. It was a lot like that. It was like, who's going to look out for the new kid? Andrew raises his hand. He volunteers. And just like that, he sort of adopts him into his, you know, friend group or whatever. But Andrew was always the most popular one, the good-looking one. So I guess when they started the band and became successful, George just thought that would carry into the band. By the way, his name wasn't George. His, he had a long Greek name, and Andrew nicknamed him Yog because that was just like a shorter version. But um, anyway, so Yog was not the cute, popular one. Yeah, I think Andrew and George have the same relationship we have. Andrew was the extrovert, and <laughs> I think George was the introvert. Yeah, it seems like he was. But he was the 
maybe slightly more talented one as far as the music writing and all of that. Well, I say vocally and from songwriting, mm-hmm. definitely George was the uh, the talent. But I thought that it was interesting that sort of the theme of this entire show was basically that, yes, George had like this innate talent that Andrew didn't maybe have, that he had to work harder at it. But Andrew, um, if it weren't for Andrew, George would have never had his big success. Like he totally credits him for bringing him out of his shell and, you know, being by his side this whole time and helping him make his dream happen. And then at the right moment, it's like Andrew knew when to pull back. What's amazing how humble Andrew was. Yes. And the whole thing is. Yeah. Because it's like, he's like, Hey, you know, George was George and he, you know, he had a mission and he goes, I wasn't going to stand in his way. And a lot of people would be, you know, upset or jealous or bitter Mm -hmm. and say like, you know, he left me behind or, you know, why wouldn't I as successful as he was? But Andrew realized that George was special and he didn't, you know, he encouraged that and was like, Hey, you do what you do because you're going to go places. Right. Now, there was one thing I learned in this show that I did not know about was there was actually a band before Wham. They had a band before Wham in 1979 called The Executive, and it was a ska band, which cracked me up because that's very different from the Wham sound. It only lasted one year, though. (laughs) (laughs) It was over before it started, for sure. And the others left the band, and and then those two were the only ones left together, so they were like, all right, well, I guess we'll just carry on then. <laughs> now, what I thought was hilarious that they tried to um, mirror Human League. Oh, yeah. So it was just the two of them, but then they loved Human League, and Human League had the two ladies. So then they're like, well, maybe we should get two ladies for our band. <laughs> and so they ended up with one was Andrew's girlfriend. And was Shirley. Shirley, Andrew's girlfriend. And then they recruited a second lady. And then she later that one changed to a different lady. But they always had two ladies, but like sort of like backup dancer singers, I guess. Yeah, and I guess they got paid by the gig because I was like, how did that work? I mean, because they really weren't part of the band, but they were part of the band. If every time you saw them on like video, they were always there. But you know what's funny? As a girl, I watched those videos like dozens and dozens of times. And I didn't know that those two ladies were part of the band. I just thought they were actresses in the videos. You were blinded by your attraction <laughs> to George that nothing was going to stand in your way. Well, look at their record. It's just the two of them on the front. Well, and I think I think that's the reason. Because like, if you looked at anything that was like in the newspapers or in the magazines or albums, you never saw the other two girls. The only time you ever saw the other two girls is actually when they were performing. Right. I would be reading all the teen mags, you know, the Tiger Beat and you know, teen and all that. And so, of course, they always had, like, pictures of the guys. And then at some point, it was mostly just pictures of George. They knew it sold. Yeah. I even had, this is so embarrassing, I even had a, like, oversized sticker of Wham. It was the picture from the Make It Big. I love that picture. And I had it, I stuck it on my bed, like, on the headboard right by where I would sleep. So I would see the guys right before I fell asleep. There, there they are right there. There's still a little mark on that headboard where you can see where the sticker was. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And then I had their posters all over the place. Of course you did. And I listened to it nonstop. (laughs) I mean, it really was a great album. 
Both of them were. Was it the best album of, what, 1985? Yeah, at least if you ask me. I don't know if they, I don't know what awards it won. I'm sure it did get some. All right, what do you guys think? Uh, where Where did the Wham! Make It Big album rank in your top albums of 85? <laughs> so before that one, though, they had the Fantastic, and they had the, the Wham! rap. And do you know where, or did you know, where they got the name Wham? Was that new to you that they talked about it in the show? It was so new to me, I already forgot what they said. So you'll have to uh, remind me. They said that they were out in in London on the West End at a club called La Beat Route, which we looked it up and that place is still there. It's under a different name. And that's where they used to hang out. They were at the club and they just got in like a big group and started dancing around and like just messing around. And then Andrew just came up with this little rap line uh, wham, bam, I am the man. And then they just were like, oh, wham would be a cool name for a band. And then that was it. There you go. And then it was also the, you know, lyric to their first song, the wham rap, <laughs> which I had totally memorized back in the day. Like it, I could totally, in fact, when we were watching the show, I busted out the lyric. Like I knew it. Yes, you did. Still. So did you have dance moves to go along with the, uh, the rap. Uh, we didn't have like any choreographed. Boy, they did though. Well, they did. I, I was wondering <laughs> if you did. Their dance moves were hysterical, and I loved in the show on when they were on top of the pops and they were talking and they were laughing at their own dance moves, and they were like, "Yeah, we made that up in uh, my mom's house." And he's like, "No choreographer was going to come up with that." Truth. <laughs> so that was pretty cute. Um, but they signed their contract in 1982. And then they had a couple of other songs, um, Club Tropicana, which I loved that song. Again, not from Wham! Make It Big. You know, I learned about it later. Um, but I loved the music video. I was obsessed with the music video from Club Tropicana. Club Tropicana All right. Had you seen that video before? That was my first time. (laughs) Okay. So it's interesting. They said that they also wrote that. That song was also written about La Root. That club must have been really special to them. I really want to kind of go back to that place where they had these important things. But anyways, they had never been to any place tropical like that. And so they were just imagining what it would be like. But then when they filmed the video... They went to Ibiza. Very cool. And the place they went, it was like, they got like the hideout of the stars, right? Right. So they, okay. So I looked it up. So that place was called Pikes, Pikes Ibiza. And it um, was kind of like a, a hideaway. Like it was just like, it was a resort, but it wasn't like one of these huge ones. And it was owned by this guy called Tony Pike and he built it. He like built the place. He said it was just like, a getaway for him, and then it just kept growing and growing, and then Hollywood starts started coming there back in the 80s. So when they went to film the video, it was like a dream come true for them, and I always wanted to go to that place. Of course, I still want to go there. <laughs> so the good news is you can. We, we, we just have to get there. Yeah, Ibiza is uh, pretty remote, but yeah, one of these days, you know, like if we hit the lottery or something, maybe we'll go to Ibiza. So for all you out there looking it up, it's like East of Spain. 
Yeah, it's an island. They went there and they spent some time making that video and it looks like they had a lot of fun. And the guy that owned it, Tony Pike, the one I was telling you about, he actually is in the video. He has a little cameo. He's the guy that was like the little bartender, the guy at the very beginning oh, that yeah, welcomes them. Yeah. And then that, he's that, like the bartender that's guy. That's Tony Pike? He was like, yeah, I was in the video. And he said it was a lot of fun filming it. You know, what I was impressed about, and I don't know if they digitally remastered that video, but that video looks like it could have been filmed today. It looks really good. The quality was really good. Yeah. Now, what's your favorite part of that video? Because this cracked me up. <laughs> I love the part. It happens more than once where he says, Club Tropicana drinks are free, and he pours his drink out in the, in the pool. In the pool. <laughs> I always just thought that was hysterical. Like, these drinks are free. I'm just going to pour it in the pool. Abby goes, if I ever go there, you I'm, know what I'm doing. I'm getting a drink, and I'm pouring it in the pool. But I won't be free. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after that, the guys start getting famous, and they make a tour across the U.K. in 1983. And George said, and this surprised me, he never expected to be a teen idol. He always thought, like we said, that, you know, Andrew would be the one that would have the screaming girls. And, and then it really caught him off guard with these girls screaming and all of that. And he said at first it made him really uncomfortable because he had grown up so shy and insecure. But then he grew to love it. And he even said it became addictive, having these girls following him, screaming and all that. And eventually he played up to it and, you know, played to their fantasies and, you know, just danced right up in front of him and had a good old time. But at first, I think it was really challenging for him. Yeah, I imagine it didn't take him too much to uh, get used to the uh, fanfare and all of a sudden like, hey, this is kind of cool. You know, pe people like me because it felt like he needed that validation. And yeah, I think, I think he for, said he was insecure. Yeah. And I think uh, just, you know, the amount of people that were just clamoring for him, I think it was just the validation he needed to say, hey, I actually am successful. Yeah. And that was just in the UK before they then renegotiated with CBS, got their next big break, got Make It Big. And then by that time, they were worldwide sensation. Didn't it say they were like the first big Western band to play in China? Yeah, it took me back for a minute because they were playing in Beijing, but they back then, I guess they called it Peking. <laughs> I know, I've heard of Peking Duck, but I didn't know that that Beijing was called Peking. <laughs> yeah, I learned something new. And you've even been there. I've been there and didn't realize it was. It used to be called Peking. <laughs> it was cool seeing the footage of them on like the Great Wall and all that. Yeah, it brought back memories to me. I've had the opportunity to go to the Great Wall and uh, don't know if I ever get to go back again, but... You know, it was probably one of the most memorable things I probably will do in my life. So it was cool to see, you know, a place that they were at that I had been to that most people will never get to go. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to go with him. He used to go there on business. So Keith had some adventures over in China for sure. I was out just living the high life. I was stuck at home. You were working hard, actually. And that um, was like your one day off. <laughs> it, it was. So anyway, I really enjoyed that. Overall, I mean, we haven't really, we've been talking a lot about the show, but we haven't really said what we thought. Obviously, we loved it. I loved it. Yeah. One thing I really loved was how they used old interviews to make it almost like they were narrating it today. I loved that because I'll be honest, I was a little scared to watch it because I did watch a documentary several years ago about George Michael, his passing and all of that. And it just brought me to tears. It was so emotional for me, kind of like when I saw the Val Kilmer one, because those two were my big crushes. 
I was a little scared because I was afraid it was going to be sad or it's going to make me sad. But what I loved about it was not that they didn't talk about his death because they really didn't. But it wasn't about that period of, in his life. It was about the early years. This was about Wham. It wasn't about George Michael's solo career. Exactly. And it was told by both of them. And I don't know where they got all that footage, but it was amazing. The only thing hard for me was it was still hard for me to differentiate the voices of Andrew and Michael sometimes. And so sometimes I w- it was kind of hard for me to follow who was talking. Okay. Yeah. I could, I could tell pr- most of the time who well, was talking. Because you're a super fan. Yeah. I knew what they, ta- what they sounded like. But the cutest thing ever in the real MVP of this documentary is Andrew Ridgely's mom. I was glad you were going to say that because I totally agree. She must have been the cutest thing because she kept a scrapbook. Not just a scrapbook. Well, she started with one. And then at the least she got through like number, I think, 45. (laughs) Like 40 scrapbooks. I mean, she is the queen of scrapbooks. I love this lady. She saved every clipping, every photo, every interview, anything she found to do with those boys, Mom Ridgely was cutting it out and putting it in her scrapbook. I want to go to Mama's house and just see these 45 books. I mean, that's the cutest thing. Well, they showed pictures and images of the books, and then Andrew used that in his narration, and he would show the books. You know, they would show it on the screen, and then he would read a little thing that his mom had handwritten in there. And I just loved that. That was the sweetest thing. And it really brought it to life. And it showed how proud their parents were. Not just his mom, but they also interviewed Yogg's dad. And it was so cute seeing his dad. I'd never seen that before, that interview. And he was so proud of his son. Well, especially because if you watch it, I think early on his father had different aspirations for George. Yes. and uh, I think both of them, their parents did. But obviously, at some point, he came to uh, grips with uh, what they were doing and also saw that they were successful. But yeah, definitely, all the parents were so proud of their kids and the success they had. I thought that was so sweet. All right, Abby. So from the super fan perspective, how would you rate the Wound documentary? I mean, 10 out of 10. It was fantastic. No pun intended. <laughs> I, absolutely, I see what you did there. Yeah, did you? I totally loved it. In fact, I ended up watching it twice, and I'll probably watch it again because it was just so good. Yeah, and from a person that was not a huge Wham! fan in the 80s but likes their music, I thought it was excellent. I, I learned a lot about the history of the band and, and how they came to be and how they became successful, and I thought it was very interesting, and it's well worth the hour and a half to, uh, to watch the documentary. Would you say it gave you sort of a new appreciation for them, for their music? Like, are you going to start listening to it? I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) But uh, I definitely enjoyed it. But I don't know if I'll have them on uh, replay on uh, Spotify. or I might spin the album down in the basement, you know. You should give it a try. Yeah. I was listening to it yesterday when you, you weren't here, but I was listening to it. It's so good. It's still a little hokey for me, but. It's, it's different. I mean. It's no, okay. So Keith prefers more of like new wave. Yes. So it's definitely more, it's very bubblegum pop. Yes. And I would have to say, I still probably prefer George Michael's solo. Really? Uh, material more than Wham. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, the Faith album, I really like the Faith album. It is good. I mean, it's solid. I still loved him after Wham. But I, I also, I sort of mourned for the loss of Wham. When Wham stopped being a band, it made me sad. Well, yeah, because it was kind of abrupt. 
it was abrupt. Um, they knew that they were going to end it, but they didn't really share it until it just ended. And their last concerts were in UK. So I never got to see them live. Yeah, I think your biggest miss, speaking of concerts, was they came through Dallas and somehow you did not go see them. I know. I was like in fourth or fifth grade and I don't know if I didn't find out about it in time or I didn't ask my parents. I don't remember knowing about it. I mean, from I'm probably p- better off not knowing. Probably. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Yeah. From, <laughs> from the person that saw Michael Jackson and Erasure and all I these, did. you know, went to Lollapalooza, New Kids on the, new block. Kids on the block. I'm shocked that you missed this one. This was a big miss for me. I don't know how I missed it. And I'll never get that back. So the best I can do is keep watching this documentary. There you go. (laughs) So I'm glad they made it. I loved it. You guys, be sure and check out the, the movie. It's just called Wham! on Netflix. And it is awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time.